reign forever. And that idea that there are so many other things that we may think are so important in our lives or worrying about what other people might think about us. But God will reign forever. And he is the one that we are to put our minds on. He is the one that we are to pursue. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you. You are worthy to be worshipped. You will reign forever. So we come before you now, Lord, as your subjects, as your servants. We long to hear from you, Lord. We long that you would transform us through your mighty power, through the Holy Spirit. So please now, as we open your word, have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing on here in our summer uh, sermon series through the book of Philippians. We're more than halfway through, so maybe the, the warning light should be flashing for you if you haven't been getting to know this book by reading it on your own. It's not too late to start, so, so get at that right now. And a homework assignment that I've given, and, and some of you have actually turned in your assignment to me already. Thank you for that. But the homework assignment is to come up with a key verse from Philippians. So one of the verses in Philippians that you think kind of tells the story of the whole book. Last Sunday, we looked at a wonderful passage in the first half of Philippians 3 where we saw that the right goal to have in our lives is the goal of knowing Christ. Now, we're moving on to the next passage today, but we're not really moving on to a new subject because the goal of what we're going to talk about today is still knowing Christ. In fact, the whole book of Philippians centers on this idea of knowing Christ. I I think that Philippians is about knowing Christ and becoming more like him. That's our goal. Now, many theologians have noted that chapter 3 maybe shouldn't be broken up into two sections. In in your Bibles, like mine, perhaps, there's a whole new paragraph heading for it. But really, like I said, we're continuing on the same theme that we started last week. So what we're going to do today, even yes, we are looking at a a new section, as a new section, but we're going to be looking at it in the context, and we're going to break it into two parts. So first we're going to look at Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, and I'm going to read those now. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. My first point today, I have two points. My first point is that we must press on toward the goal. We must press on toward the goal. Now, one of the guys who finished his homework assignment and and I asked him if I could relay this story, he said I could. One of those guys is our our worship leader, Dan Schindler. He told me that he thinks the key verse of Philippians is chapter 3, verse 14. I want to read it again. It says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I thought, okay, I want to learn from him then. I said, Dan, if that's your key verse, what do you think the goal is in that verse? And, And he looked at his Bible and he said, well... The goal is the prize. I just kind of laughed and said, ha, ha, ha. So I said, if I were to ask you what the prize is, I suppose you're going to say the prize is the goal. The goal is the prize. The prize is the goal. And he looked at his Bible again and he said, no, I think the prize is the it, or in the NIV, the, the this of verse 12. And I just kind of laughed again, ha, ha, just kind of going around in circles. But then he said, and I think he's exactly right on this, the goal 
goes back to verses 10 and 11 from what we looked at last Sunday. I want to reread those verses now. It says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's the goal, the prize, the it. Knowing Christ, becoming like him, and the resurrection. So what Paul says in these verses is that we are to press on toward that goal. Now the word translated press on means to pursue. It's a word from the running world in Paul's day. The the word meant to, to try to catch up to someone or to something. So there's a goal in mind, and and if we take our eyes off that goal, we might go off track. Now, since we're talking about running here, um, I figured I would give a a running illustration. I finally figured out something about my life. This was kind of one of those aha moments in my life. I used to look back at my life and say, why in the world did I ever join cross-country in high school? Two years of putting myself through it. Why? Why did I do that to myself when I could have played football or something like that? But I finally realized, my, my reason back then was I was trying to get in shape for other sports, but I think now I know the reason. The reason is so that I could have more understanding into things like this when it talks about running terms. So, so you all can learn from my misery now as I give this illustration. Uh, I was on a cross-country team in high school, and there was another guy on our team named Trevor Christensen who I could just never seem to beat in a race. It wasn't like he was all that much faster than me. It just so happened that every race he would beat me. And finally, one race, we were, uh, we were coming around the home stretch. And it was a long home stretch. Um, and, and I came around it first. And I, and I looked ahead of me, and there, there, wasn't, there wasn't anybody that I was going to catch. And then I ran ahead a little bit, and I looked behind me, and I saw Trevor behind me. He was, he was a ways behind me, a distance behind me. And I thought, this is it. This is my chance to beat him. So uh, I, I turned around, and I looked, and I, I turned around again, and I looked. And one thing I knew about Trevor is that he was a really good sprinter at the end of the races. And, and I didn't understand that because I just spent three miles running, and now you want me to sprint for another tenth of a mile? No way. Um, I'm just, you know. But, but this was my chance. I was going to beat Trevor. And what I did is I kept looking back. It's like the cardinal sin of everybody, you non-runners, you probably know that. The cardinal sin of running, don't look back at your opponent. You keep your eyes on the goal. And sure enough, Trevor passed me. And I, and I never, ever, in two years of races, beat him. Took my eyes off. That's not how we're supposed to run a race. And spiritually speaking, that's not how we're supposed to do it either. We have to keep our eyes on the goal. The goal is knowing Christ. And as long as we are in this life, there is more knowing Christ to do. There is more pressing on for us to do. I wasn't done with that race at 3.05 miles. You had to get to 3.1 miles. There is more pressing on, too, for us, spiritually speaking, that we need to do. And what Paul says in this passage is that, yes, he has this goal, but he doesn't consider himself yet to have reached that goal. He said in verse 12 that he hasn't already been made perfect. Now he said, like we looked at last week, his goal is knowing Christ. And we might look at the Apostle Paul and think, wow, there's a guy who is really doing it. But what Paul says here now is, hey, listen, I'm not there yet. I'm not done yet. I have not yet been perfected. And and can I be next in line then to say, I'm not there yet either? So as we we talk about this goal of knowing Christ, and yes, it is my goal, and I can say to you with a straight face that my goal in life is to know Christ and become like Him. But I also want to come before you right now and say, I'm not done yet. I'm not perfect. 
I know better than any of you, except for maybe my wife, uh, that I stumble in many ways. And, and there are so many things about my life that I wish, with a snap of a finger, could just be instantly transformed into Christ-likeness. Because I know that I am not done yet. So what do I do? Do I say, well, I guess that was a failed experiment. And no. We press on. There is a goal that we are to pursue Every single one of us. So this passage is a passage of movement toward a goal. None of us are there yet. So all of us together, we press on toward that goal. We are to strain, Paul says in verse 13, towards what is ahead. And I think that straining implies both mental and even physical effort in our spiritual walk with God. Physical effort, things like getting yourself out of bed and having the discipline to open up your Bible. Mental effort, things like Oh, you know, staying alert when you pray and putting yourself in the right environment for growth. Sometimes there's decisions that you have to make in your mind. Like, for example, a small group. Well, I could either meet with a small group on Thursday nights or I could, you know, there's one of my favorite shows that's on TV that night. You know, sometimes you just need to be an adult. Even you kids need to be an adult and, uh, and just make a good decision about how you are going to press on, how you're going to strain towards that goal. It's weird to have a singular focus in mind of knowing Christ, pursuing him, becoming more like him. So in verse 13, Paul says that he forgets what's behind and he strains towards what's ahead. Now, what does it mean to forget what's behind? I think it means a lot of things. And overall, one of my friends said this week, it means a mindset of leaving your old life behind. I I like that. It's a mindset of leaving your old life behind. Behind. There are lots of things that we used to live for in that old life. Lots of things that we used to pursue that weren't Jesus Christ. And we're to put those things behind to forget about them and to pursue Christ. It means a choice that we make not to live for those things. Not for the sinful nature. I also think forgetting what's behind can mean taking the right view of our past sins. I think a lot of Christians, and, and this in a, in a group like this is probably true for some of you out there, too many Christians assume that there is a roadblock in their life preventing them from knowing God better, and that roadblock is previous sin. Some people say about themselves, oh, God knows who I am and what I've done in the past, and, and I'll probably just have to settle for being a second-rate Christian because of that. How should we view our sins and our past failures? Well, let's use Paul as an example. What kind of sins did he have in his past? Well, he had a pretty big one. He persecuted Christians simply because they tried to worship God. Now, if you were to stack up your sin against Paul's, which I don't think we should do, by the way, but if you were to try to do that, Paul's was a pretty bad one. And how did Paul view his sins? He knew it was taken care of at the cross. He knew then that he could forget that, that he could go past that, and that God, is, who is very good at cleansing, could cleanse him. So for you out there, if there are any of you that are just, you feel like you're stuck in your spiritual life because you keep thinking about those sins that you've committed, please know God is very good at cleansing. God can get out every stain. So we forget what's behind and we strain towards what's ahead. Why? Because there's something wonderful up ahead. I love how it's said, starting in the middle of verse 12, I press on to take hold of that 
for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. love that picture of Jesus Christ taking hold of us. It's really a picture of the gospel message. It's a picture of God knowing everything about us, wicked, sinful human beings, but loving us still and sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to us to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the penalty that we could never pay, so that God in His love could draw us to Him, so that we could have complete forgiveness and eternal life and a relationship with Him right now. All of those things are for you because Jesus Christ has taken hold of us. Now, yes, it means that we must respond. We must receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and I hope you've done that. And if you're not at all sure that you've done that, don't, don't let today go by without knowing. There's people you can talk to. I'd be glad to talk to you. There's, there's our elders. There's our leadership team. Find somebody if you're not sure and, and figure out for sure if Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. And if it's true of you that Jesus Christ has taken hold of you, what it means then is that God has plans for you. That should be a stunning thought for us. For us, The God of the universe who created everything has wonderful plans for you. He has taken a hold of you so that you can walk with him and live the abundant life that he has for you. So we press on toward the goal. Now I hope you've seen there, there is what theologians call in there an already not yet tension. The already part of it is that Jesus Christ has already taken hold of us. But the not yet part of that is that there's more pressing on to do. Twice in here, in verse 12 and verse 14, we see this idea of pressing on. And I love the balance here between God's work and our work. And we've seen this before in Philippians. In fact, it's one of the things that's standing out to me from chapters 2 and 3, is this idea that God does wonderful things for us to draw us to himself. He works in us. We, we learned in chapter 1-6 that he's going to finish his work. But also, we are called to work. In chapter 2.12, we were called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Here we're called to press on toward a goal. And let me tell you, if Paul is using a word from the running world, it's a, it's a difficult thing. It does not come easy. So there's effort that we are to put into this, into our walk with God. So there's work to do. And Paul says in verse 15 that if you think differently, God will make it clear to you that he's right. And then in verse 16, he says that we are to live up to what we have already attained. Obtained. Is it attained? Yes, it is. That word translated live up to is another action word. It means to walk in line or to keep in step. It's the same word that Paul used in Galatians 5. Just after he got done talking about the fruits of the Spirit, he said, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we keep going. We keep moving on. That's what verses 12 to 16 are about. We've been given this wonderful gift in Jesus Christ, and now we keep going. So that's the application here. It's simple by this point. Keep going in your walk of faith. Another uh, running illustration for you. The, the most difficult race that I had in my two years of cross country was in the sand hills, I think near Hankinson. Are there sand hills around? Yep, Okay. I found out afterwards, thankfully, that this race wasn't a usual 5K. That's 3.1 miles. They, they chopped it down to about 2.5 miles. But the reason was because it was pure torture in between there. It was, 
you, you would run around and you would run up and down these sand hills. And, and truth be told, the running down the sand hills was actually really fun. You, you kind of get at the top of this thing and you just kind of jump down and you let sand and gravity do the work. But the trade-off wasn't worth it. The, uh, the running up the sand hills was just so awful. And I remember it. There were, there were fans there, and they would be standing, you know, five feet on either side of you as you're running, or as I say, uh, not running up these hills. Uh, every step that I would put into that sand hill, it just felt like my whole body stopped. I, I felt like I literally wasn't running. And there were people five on, just on either side of me saying, keep going, keep I was embarrassed because I was like, I don't even think I'm moving. Like, <laughs> But I, you had to keep going. That's, that's the way these races work. And I, and I did keep going. And um, There's a quote. I thought it was from Martin Luther, but it's actually from Martin Luther King Jr. But it's a good one. I'll, I'll say it here. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. And I know that some of you might be in a difficult season in your walk with God right now. I just want to say to you, keep moving. It is worth it. There is a goal that we are pursuing. And you might feel beaten down, and it might feel easier to just say, I give up, I don't want to do this anymore. But please, please, keep going. It is worth it. There is a goal of becoming like Christ. There, there is work that God will finish in us, but we must keep going. Others of you might be flying high in your walk with God right now. And I just want to say to you, if that's where you're at, praise the Lord. If there's anything good that's in your life right now, it's because God has been merciful to you and has given you a blessing. And keep seeking Him then and thanking Him for what He's done for you. But wherever you are, keep going. Keep pursuing God. Press on. And then back to that Sandhills race. The, the best part of that race, or any race, un, undeniably, is the finish line. And do you know why? Not because of the personal accomplishment of having finished the race, but because you were done and you could stop running. I, I, oh boy, that was, that was the best part of cross country for sure, was stopping. <laughs> we have a day like that in mind for us. There is a day when we will get to be with God face to face. He will finish His work of glorification for us. So for now, we keep going. We press on. Let's move on to our next section here. Verses 17 through the first verse of chapter 4. Paul says, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So here the analogy changes a bit. It was a running analogy. And now the analogy has to do with what goes on in our minds. So my second point today is that we must set our minds on the right things. Now, it's almost impossible to pick up on this from reading our English translations of Philippians, but there is a repeated verb oftentimes throughout the book of Philippians that has to do with our minds. 
One theologian called it the key verb in Philippians. It shows up in verse 19 where it said their mind is on earthly things. The same verb is twice in verse 15 where it says take such a view of things or think differently. It showed up in chapter 2 too where we're told to be like-minded. It's in my key verse that I've chosen from Philippians, chapter 2, verse 5, where it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I hope that what I'm about to say next is abundantly obvious to you, but what we set our minds on is incredibly important. So in these verses, I have picked out three pieces of advice of what we should be setting our minds on. So I have subpoints here, A, B, and C. And subpoint A is that we are to look for good examples to follow. In verse 17, Paul says, Join with others in following my example. Paul unashamedly asks people to follow him. Three other verses in the Bible, quick ones I want to read for you. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul said, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, he said, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then Philippians 4.9, he said, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Paul didn't say those things because he was prideful. He said those things because he wanted people to follow a good example. He also urged the Philippians here in verse 17 to take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Earlier, remember in chapter 2, Paul urged the Philippians to follow Timothy and Epaphroditus. He said, here's two guys that are following the pattern. Follow them. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul gave us the ultimate example of Jesus Christ, saying your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. And then he went on to explain some wonderful things about how Jesus served and was humble and obedient. It helps us to have good examples to follow. You are not the first person who has ever sought to walk with Christ. So what we really should be doing is looking to other people who we look up to and trust and follow their example. Now first and foremost, obviously we should be looking to Jesus. We set our minds on Him. We we love Him. We worship Him. We obey Him. We follow Him. We get to know Him more and more. He is our ultimate example. But then also look around you. Who are some other people that that you look up to in your walk, excuse me, in their walk with the Lord? And just a little advertisement here, maybe one of those people that you look up to is one of the leaders of our small groups that are going to be coming up. Or or maybe just somebody that you know will be in one of those small groups. And maybe what you should do as, as part of having the right mindset and putting mental and physical effort into it, maybe you should just say, I should put myself around them and join that small group. Make that investment spiritually. It's part of my becoming like Christ to learn from these people. Okay, so we're to look for good examples, and then point B is that we are to avoid bad examples. Now, as I was thinking about this sermon, I kept thinking about college students. I kept thinking about that that freshman who goes off to college and living on his own for the first time, and thinking about all of the bad examples that that person could follow. There are all sorts of them. There's the, there's the partying crew. There's the, the crew that's just concerned about getting women. There's the crew that, you know, it can even be some good things just taken to a bad level. Some people are way too much into sports in college, or some people are way too much into video games, or staying up too late. There are all sorts of bad examples to follow. 
What we need to do is to follow the right examples. So it's, Paul talks about these bad examples, and he calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. He also said to them in verse 19 that their mind is on earthly things. Now there's an interesting connection there for me, because when he says that their mind is on earthly things, we tend to view these people as, oh, they're just a little bit off course, or, oh, you know, they're just kind of getting a little bit more into something that I don't think that they should get into. Uh, you know, maybe they just make a bad decision every once in a while. But Paul's talking about the same group of people. When he, when he says that this group of people has their mind on earthly things, he also says they're enemies at the cross of Christ. Sometimes we treat those people around us too lightly, as if they're not going to harm us by their example if we follow them. See, the sinful nature will constantly tempt us to follow people and things that we should not be following. So these people who would urge us to pursue a life of pleasure or selfishness or lust or whatever it might be, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And we need to avoid following their example. So application here, we need to be careful about what we let in. I once had a Christian tell me that he didn't think that watching bad movies was a negative influence on his walk with the Lord. And I just think we need to be wiser than that. So whether it's the movies or the TV shows that we watch or the music we listen to or the books we read or the friends that we hang out with, we need to be careful about what we let in. Now don't get me wrong, we do want to have an influence in this world. We want to be helping those sorts of people come to know Christ. But as somebody was just telling me recently, it's easier for somebody to pull you down than it is for you to pull them up. So we need to be careful about those things. We need to watch what examples... And, and, and here's how I would say that we discern it. Don't follow people in their sin. Yes, we should be trying to have an influence on people, but do not follow people in their sin. So there's bad examples that we need to keep out. Now on the flip side of that, it means that we need to let the right things in. The, the Christian life is not just about isolating ourselves from everything... It's about following good examples, making wise decisions. So don't seek what the world seeks. Instead, seek after Christ. And maybe you just need to analyze your life right now. Are there some bad examples that you're letting in? And are there, are there some good examples that you should let in? Colossians 3.2 says, Set your minds, it's the same word there, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Okay, and then subpoint C. We are to look to Christ. So some people set their minds on earthly things, but we're told in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. And really, the truth is, this is not our home. Now, I love my home, love my neighbors, love my yeah, the neighborhood. I love our church home. But we need to realize that this is not our home. If we know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, our home is in heaven. And we are eagerly to await a Savior from there. The truth is that Jesus Christ is coming again and we are to set our minds on him, to look forward to his coming. And as we do that, we get to know him more and more. Now I want to focus on the titles used here for Jesus. In verse 20, it says, We eagerly await a Savior from there, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of seven places in the Bible where we see these two titles used for Jesus, Savior and Lord. The, the individual titles for him are used all over the Bible, but this is one of seven verses where we see them together. For Jesus to be Savior means that he is the one who rescues us from our sin. And, and I just... Let me back up just a moment here. I love to explain Jesus this way, and I want you all to learn to explain Jesus this way as well. As you're trying to teach other people about who Jesus is, he is Savior and Lord. And for him to be Savior means that he rescues us from our sin. It means that we had a, a death penalty against us that we could never pay, and he rescued us from it. His death on the cross for us is the only way that we could ever be forgiven. He rescues us, he saves us. But then Jesus is also Lord. And for him to be Lord, uh, that word, aside from being a title for God, it also means king or master. It means that he is in control of our lives. And if he is in control of our lives, then who isn't? Me. You. We are not in control. We submit to our Lord and we follow him. So we are to spend the rest of the days of our lives here in submission to our, our new king, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one who, according to verse 21, will transform us so that we will become like him. These humble bodies that we live in will one day be radiantly transformed and be made perfect. Anybody looking forward to that one? I am. God's bringing our souls through a process too, a process in which we become more and more like Jesus Christ. It it began when we received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Again, I, I like to think of it as Jesus pulled us up out of that muck and that mire that we were stuck in. He justified us. He saved us. And this process will end in glorification when we get to be with him in heaven and are made perfect. But in between there and there is this process called sanctification by which God brings us through a process of making us more and more holy, more and more like Jesus Christ. It is the process that God very much intends to bring you through right now. It's a process that we are to join with him in. And that, that sanctification, that being made holy and like Jesus Christ, happens as we keep our eyes on him. God will finish it. Again, I love what it said in Philippians 1.6 where Paul said being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's a promise. God will bring us into a very real glory. And it's a stark opposite of those people in verse 19 who are seeking their own ways. It says their glory is in their shame. Their only glory is shame. And that's us too. If we seek the sinful nature, if we seek to follow our own ways, we think that we might be gaining something, but our only glory is shame there. But if we keep our eyes on Christ, we know that God is at work in us and will bring us into glory. So we have a choice. Either we set our minds on earthly things, the sinful nature, our own desires, rubbish, or we set our minds on Christ, so choose to set your minds on Christ. And yes, you have a choice in this. Sometimes it might feel like life is getting the better of you and like you don't have a choice. I understand that, that, that we can trick ourselves to think that way. But nobody can make you take your eyes off Christ. It is your choice. So set your minds on Christ. 
How do we do that? The best answer I have is to walk daily with Christ. If you're wondering, how do I do this, this Christian thing? It's a daily walk with Christ. Daily meeting with Him in prayer. Daily opening up your Bibles and saying, God, what would you have me learn from this? And by the way, that's not just about you know, reading a chapter and checking off the list. It's about meeting with God, praying and saying, God, this is your word. Change me. A daily walk with God, it means fellowship with believers. That means things like being a regular part of church. Maybe even being involved in a small group. See, these things are so helpful because every single one of those things that we do is a reminder for us to keep our eyes on Christ. It's not that God's just keeping up a log and saying, okay, yep, prayed today, read Bible today, yep, yep. No, it's not like that. It's that God wants us to draw near to Him. And His promise then, if we draw near to Him, is that He will draw near to us. And if He draws near to us, He makes us more like Christ. Paul says in 4.1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Here's my conclusion. Jesus Christ took hold of us so that we could become like him. Jesus Christ took hold of us so that we could become like him. Now that is an amazing gift. God loving us so much that he takes us to himself and transforms us into the people he wants us to be. That gift is ours in Christ but it is something that we must pursue. And again, I, I'm just reminded, even as I'm standing up here, if that word pursue is a running word, it means effort. And sometimes in your life, it may not feel easy at all, but we keep going. We press on. We strain towards what is ahead. We set our minds on Christ, not on earthly things. So what goal are you pursuing? There are lots of goals we could pursue in life, the one I've picked is knowing Christ. I want to become like Him. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That is my goal. But I'm not there yet. So I press on. We press on. Let's encourage each other. Let's be a group of people who together press on and spur each other on in this race. They say in racing that you're not supposed to look behind you, but you are supposed to look ahead of you. And, and I think that's one of the things that we should keep on doing is, is keep running after the Lord and watching those who are running even faster and, and try to run with them. So let's help each other pursue this goal of knowing Christ and growing in Christ's likeness. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have told us this. You've told us what our goal should be, where our minds should be set. You've told us how we should press on. So God, would you please strengthen us for that? Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit? We thank you, Jesus, for the gift of life that you have given us. Your death for us. Your righteousness given to us. And if anyone is in here and just isn't sure if they know Jesus right now, we just come before you right now and say, God, I need you. I know I'm a sinner, but please forgive me. I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. Help me to live the life you want me to live. 
And for all of us, God, we come before you and we commit again that we want to pursue Christ. That goal of knowing him. So we ask for your strength in that, God. We rely on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.